Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating evidence for God and we are starting right now with CJ's opening stance or position in defense of theism. CJ, thanks for being with us. The floor is all yours. Absolutely, and thank you very much for having me today. Um, just want to say briefly, shalom to you all and blessings to you all in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you for joining me. Um, obviously, thank you James and Randolph both for hosting and for um, discussing with me today. And also thank you to the audience for uh, participating in the conversation by watching. I hope you guys are here to, um, you know, be the pursuers of truth. Like we all should be right. Rather than just hearing a blood sport, which I'm trying to get better at. I would, I would add, because I've definitely done the whole blood sport debate thing before. Um, so thesis today is, um, does God exist or uh, is there a God or something along those lines, right? As far as the, the thesis, however you decide to word it. And uh, of course, my task today is to defend the position that God, in fact, does exist, um, that there is good evidence for God, uh, that there's not good evidence for atheism, so on and so forth. And I think that I have some pretty, at least interesting arguments, none of which are my own to share with you today. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right into that because obviously time is limited. And the first point I want to make is um, a very general one, right? So starting in a place that is maybe not even theistic, but deistic, right? Just to, to the place where there is some being of some kind that actually creates the universe and start there, right? Um, and for that, I would put forward, you all heard it before, probably the Kalam cosmological argument. Uh, there's a reason I put that forward. It's because, and I think people have frequently admitted this, it's not an argument that you can really get around. At best, it's an argument that you can say, I think might be wrong because evidence in the future, perhaps there are things that you can find to be flawed with it, but to actually debunk it, at least with the information we have today, is completely impossible. And I think that that's an important aspect to um, to understand as we approach this conversation. The cosmological argument, for those of you who do not know, basically states that uh, everything that has began to exist has a cause the universe began to exist, therefore the universe was caused. Now, that in and of itself wouldn't, you think, get you to a um, theistic or deistic position per se, as much as it does just to the notion that there is some kind of first cause, until you start to examine what exactly would be needed in order to cause something like the universe. For example, if the universe is to be understood as time, space, and matter, the flow of space, time, so on and so forth, then the being must be space or the thing, let's not assume being, must be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, right? 
Um, already, these are things which would only indicate things like forces, uh, potentially abstract objects, or minds, right? Uh, the thing seemingly would have to be able to make some kind of a decision, have decision-making capacity of some kind. Why? Well, because at some portion, at some, uh, you know, and it's weird to say some point in time, because of course time would not necessarily exist, but at some uh, juncture, right, whatever you would want to call it, some point, uh, the being would have to have decided, or the force, or whatever it is, would have had to move from whatever it is that is not leading to a universal creation into the position where there is now universal creation. And I tried to say that in that way so that there wasn't necessarily the assumptions of time and stuff like that, which is stuff that's hard for us to even think about to begin with, being temporal beings, right? Um, a lot of things that we have in the universe, things such as the abstract, uh, things like the laws of nature, uh, so on and so forth, and this does get into other arguments such as the teleological argument, but I won't get into them too deep, just say, um, just would point out briefly that they do seem to be structured in some kind of a way, designed in some kind of a way, and that does imply that there is a tinkerer, if you will. A tinkerer would be some sort of a force that is driving toward an end goal, right, uh, and that would imply some level of a mind, right, uh, and you can go so on and so forth with the Kalam cosmological argument and, to, and looking at the different things that the creator of the universe or uh, creative force of the universe, whatever it happens to be, what different qualifications it would have to meet in order to indeed create the universe. And you end up coming to something that looks very close to, I think, the monotheistic triomni God. But of course, that's just the monotheistic triomni God. And that could potentially be Brahma and that could potentially be Allah and that could potentially be whatever. And who cares? Right. So we want to get a little bit more specific than that. Uh, I think you can at least make a jump from deism to theism by virtue of the moral argument. And actually, I think you can make the ar moral argument a double-pronged argument. I think you can, on one end, say just morality itself as an abstract that seemingly is grounded in the concrete. Um, but you could also go the full-on abolition of man route. Abolition of man is a famous essay by C.S. Lewis where he argues that all abstract things, whether they be truth, creativity, uh, love, etc., seemingly have their grounding in something concrete. And he decides to term that thing, the, uh, that concrete thing, the Tao, in the essay, simply for the purposes of not assuming his own worldview. But of course, knowing C.S. Lewis's worldview, we would understand that the Tao in his thinking is, of course, Jesus Christ. Um, this does seem to be, in my opinion, to be an incredibly strong argument because there are so many abstract things in the world, and yet none of them appear to be actually abstract. For example, one exists, right? What do I mean by that? The alphanumeric symbol that is one is obviously just something that we came up with to describe a value, but that value already exists. If I have one stick and over here I have two sticks, there is a absolute objective and existent value of one, and over here, there is an absolute objective and existent value of two. The value exists within reality. And yet, it's an abstract. So the abstract seemingly is not abstract in a somewhat paradoxical fashion. Uh, we obviously see this kind of stuff with morality, which, of course, I, when I pointed this out, I was going to originally give the moral argument, right? But wanted to point out that it sort of blends in with the whole abolition of man idea. Um, and morality, of course, is an instance that is quite interesting. People often say, if you can demonstrate universal morality exists, I'll, uh, you know, concede the debate or convert or whatever it is. And they're obviously just speaking rhetorically. But the thing is, it's actually quite easy to prove that universal morality exists. Every culture in the world, ubiquitous, ubiquitously, without exception, has thought murder was wrong. 
The question is what exactly constitutes a murder? For some people, murder was only murder within the tribe. For some people, murder was only murder of certain classes. For some people, murder was only murder of certain races or perhaps of a gender of some kind. But all of them agreed at least killing some people is wrong. Likewise with thievery, at least stealing from some people has been deemed wrong ubiquitously and cross-culturally throughout time and at all places. In other words, universal morality very obviously exists. People just have a tough time debating about the definitions of what exactly uh, these things are, right? Whether, like I said, it be thievery or murder or um, you know, being disobedient to parents, whatever it happens to be, we'd all have the same general rules that we lay out. The, spe uh, the specifics are the things that we dispute about. Why is that? That, may, that sounds as if it's something that's inherent to us. In other words, concrete, not abstract. Well, what can ground these sorts of abstract things? You could say it could be something like moral Platonism. However, objects don't have anything to say about absolute values like numbers, nor do they care in the slightest about what you shall not or should do, nor do they care in the slightest about the creativity of things or love or anything else that exists within the abstract. In other words, an object just simply cannot account for the personality of the things that we see in the abstract. Abstracts are only understood and given by human persons. Therefore, it stands to reason that their ultimate source must be some form of person. Uh, there are other arguments that get you even closer, I think, to what I would consider the Christian worldview, uh, leaving deism and theism entirely and actually getting to Christianity itself. Um, for example, arguments from correct Bible prophecy. Uh, one of the funner ones for me and more indisputable ones for me is prophecy concerning Ishmael, uh, the son of Abraham. Now, I believe that this prophecy was given sometime around 1800 BC because that's when I believe Abraham lived. I believe it was written down sometime around 1400 BC because that's when I believe Moses wrote it. But even if you take the hyper-skeptical position that Genesis was written sometime around 400 BC, the prophecy concerning Ishmael still is not going to be met for another 1,000 years, meaning it's impossible for you to say, well, this happened after the fact. It absolutely did not. And what is the prophecy concerning Ishmael? Well, we see it in three different places. I'll read very briefly. Genesis 16 says, um, the angel of the Lord said unto her, her being Hagar, Ishmael's mother, behold, thou art, thou art with child and shalt bear a son, shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard the affliction. He will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. It's important to point out that the Bible, when it is speaking of um, uh, patriarchs of tribes, which we are going to see in further passages, uh, Ishmael is, it always um, mirrors the culture with the person. In other words, the people who come from the Ishmaelites will have a frequent history of fighting, and they will dwell in the presence of other Shemites, right? The Arabs, who are the historical descendants of Ishmael, the ones who call themselves Ishmaelites, even all the way back to the Babylonian days, and you can see this in uh, works like Josephus and so on and so forth, but you can go even farther back than that, um, are groups that have a long history of fighting and do live in the presence of all the Shemites. They did not leave and go elsewhere. That's at least one portion, but we get further. Genesis 17, 20 says, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. So the Arabs are apparently going to be incredibly populous, incredibly numerous, and they're even going to be a great nation singular. Now, not only does that mean that they're going to have 
mighty prosperity and stuff like that, but it also means that they're going to be single at one, they're going to be one group, right? It doesn't say great nations, it says he's going to be a great nation. Well, the Arabs did not become a nation, let alone a great nation, of unified peoples until after the Islamic prophet Muhammad united them and conquered the Arabian Peninsula around the year 630 AD. Now, I do not believe that the Islamic prophet Muhammad is indeed a prophet, but I am fully confident in God's ability to prophesy somebody and not buy into their religious garbage, for example, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Cyrus, and etc. But we see 600 years after the death of Christ, 1,000 years after even the most skeptical people will put Genesis, we have the formation of one singular great nation that goes about conquering everybody else and forms eventually, by the time you get to the Umayyad Caliphate, one of the most powerful nations, empires, whatever you want to call it, of all time, stretching from Afghanistan all the way to Morocco, even conquering Spain. Uh, I would also go into Genesis 21, where we see some uh, repetitions of that, but I feel like I am probably going to be swamped on time here, so I'm going to just move on very briefly. You can have a few more minutes if you want. That's fine with me. I I appreciate that. Um, Well, and with that, then, I I will read Genesis 21. Uh, and also the son of the bondwoman, we're starting at verse 13, and also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation. That is once again Ishmael, right? Because he is thy seed, he's speaking to Abraham. So we see of this woman, he's going to make a nation. He then says it again to Hagar in verse 18, arise, lift up the lad and hold him in thy hand for I, for I will make him a great nation. Now, if I were to say to Randolph right now, Randolph, the direct descendants of you, will absolutely be they will they will be warriors they will live amongst your own kin they will form a mighty nation they will be multiplied exceedingly very populous and they will be singular one group and then anywhere from 1000 to uh 2400 years passed and that thing occurred i think you guys would think that was pretty impressive well that did happen in the bible Bare minimum, this was written 400 BC. Potentially, this was given all the way back in 1800 BC. And Ishmael's descendants did exactly as Genesis said Ishmael's descendants would do. Uh, And then I would want to sort of end this with a argument from, uh, number one, the ubiquity of experience, and number two, uh, human experience in general, which I think do need to go in with each other. And there's plenty of other points to get to, like the teleological argument, resurrection, things like that. The thing is, it's such a broad topic that I kind of have to narrow down to things that I'm, um, you know, wanting to put forward, I guess. Yeah. Uh, But what I mean by ubiquity is that even today in modern America, modern Sweden, modern Iceland, all these secular countries, we still have yet to see a single culture in the history of the world that has not had at least some and usually even the majority. 30 seconds. Acknowledging the existence of the spiritual, even feeling the existence of the spiritual. Um, it's funny, we have recently had the UFO sightings, quote unquote, that have come out in the, you know, the Navy and the Pentagon saying, oh, we saw these unidentified flying objects and everybody's super stunned about the fact that we have these. We have more footage of potential spiritual encounters, and I'm not even saying they're all legit, um, on one single website on the internet than we do of all UFO, Sasquatch sightings, Loch Ness monster sightings, and everything else combined in the entire world. Every culture, without exception, has acknowledged in some way spirituality, spirits, angels, the Tao, things of that nature. And I do not know of a single thing that is ubiquitous amongst cultures that does not exist. And with that, I would concede.
Thank you very much, ZJ, and glad to have you back, Randard, uh, Randolph. We want to let you know we will give you the same amount of time for your opening statement as well, which is about 13 and a half, and that's flexible. And want to let you know, folks, we are thrilled to have both our guests, CJ and Randolph, are both linked in the description. We highly encourage you to check out their links. And Randolph is president of Canadian Atheists, and that's Atheists with a lowercase a, as they are working to promote the normalization of atheism. And again, both of our guests are linked in the description. Thank you, Randolph, for being here. The floor is all yours. Thank you, James, and thank you, CJ. <clears throat> uh, so, for this debate topic, is there a God? I think most of the audience probably knows by now, as they've seen me before, that I don't take a position that any deities exist. So, I'm definitely not in the yes camp on this one, which is why we're here today with uh, CJ. <laughs> um, if I was to take a distinct anti-position, then probabilities would be the best that I would have to work with, I guess. Um, because um, I think when it comes to the anti-position, that would be a much more difficult thing to prove, uh, which is why I don't take that either. Um, there's, uh, because I would have to, part of my burden of proof would be to uh, show that in the entire cosmos, not just the universe, but the entire cosmos, there's absolutely no deity existing anywhere. And I don't have the tools to do that. And I don't believe anybody does. Um, so uh, as far as we've explored our universe, um, we don't know how large it really is. Uh, we're still working on that. <laughs> so, um, so CJ, of course, has, I think, an easier position because all he has to do is to cause um, his deity to materialize somehow or to satisfy um, whatever the requirements are. Now, uh, CJ is presenting the Christian deity um, uh, God with the with an all uh, all encompassing knowledge of the universe or omniscience, and having uh, no uh, unlimited power, being uh, omnipotent, and uh, is omnipresent, is absolutely everywhere. Um, but he doesn't have to show all of these things. Um, for my own criteria, if if I'm to be satisfied that uh, deity exists, and this has been brought up in previous debates and conversations I've had with Christians and, and Muslims and, and people from other religions. Um, what I did put forward that would definitely work for me, now this is not my only criteria, but this one would definitely, definitely um, close the deal for me and um, would, would turn me into a believer uh, pretty well instantly, is if, uh, if this all-powerful and all-knowing deity was to grant me um, the power of omniscience and omnipotence for a period of a fortnight for two weeks so that I could then experiment with it. And there, there's a few things I have an ulterior motive. I, I must admit, I, I want to explore the cosmos and, and find out how big it is and, and see what else is out there. But uh, that would do it for me. That would uh, certainly uh, satisfy uh, my requirement. I'm not asking for the other omni characteristics, just those two and uh, only for a short time. So uh, that, that would that would be what would be required. Um, CJ did mention the cosmological argument, the Kalam cosmological argument, the KCA. Um, I reject the first premise. Um, the first premise being that everything that has began to exist has a cause. Um, the, the reason is because um, 
we don't actually know everything about how the universe works yet. We have a pretty good idea from scientific understanding uh, about what we are aware of, um, because we've been able to verify quite a lot, I think. But um, we, we're still learning uh, as a species. There's still a long way to go, uh, I suspect. And I, I think many people are on board with me on this one. So to make the statement that everything has that has begun to exist has a cause um, is making an assumption. And if you think of the black and white fallacy, or sorry, not the black, the, the black swan fallacy, there was a time when people only saw white swans and they assumed that all swans must be white. And then one day somebody discovered a black swan and lo and behold, okay, now we know not all swans are white. And uh, the same thing here, from what we can see, it looks like maybe things did have a beginning at some point, um, but we don't actually know that that's the case for absolutely everything in the universe, including the universe itself. Um, there was uh, some talk about what would be qualifications for creating universe, which I think would be a very fascinating subject. I'm reminded of Carl Sagan one time stating, stating that if you want to make a pie from an apple pie from scratch, you must first create the universe. And he's looking at the bare bones basics more fundamentally than anybody else ever has before then, I think. Um, now, um, we're talking universes here, creating a universe. So what would be required? Um, one of the things that CJ did point out was that um, it, it would make uh, that it would be, um, I guess, um, the universe, creating the universe, the qualifications for creating universe would lead to a monotheistic God, a, a single male deity. And um, he even jumped into deism a little bit. Um, I, I do have a question about that, but it's not really important. So I'll leave it for later. Um, but the, um, I'm, I'm curious why people such as yourself, CJ, will will try to put it into being a single deity, creating absolutely everything, um, and um, how you might go about ruling out uh, multiple deities working together to create the universe as uh, as a project between them all together. Um, they could. I, I certainly don't see why they couldn't share omniscience and omnipotence in so doing and all be on the same page for doing this and then take on different duties to make sure that uh, their, their areas of specialization um, come up with a better result. So um, I, I would like to, uh, to see some, uh, some reasoning behind this uh, at some point. Um, you also mentioned uh, universal morality, I guess, uh, I, I suppose you're meaning objective morality in that sense. Um, you, you, did, you did give some examples of, uh, I guess, um, let me see, sorry, I made some notes here, I'm just looking at, uh, you, you mentioned at least killing some people is wrong, or at least stealing from some people is wrong, and yes, we do agree on those things. And um, I think it's very easy to find plenty of people who will agree on those points. If it's going to be universal or objective morality though, uh, I think that the criteria needs to be more specific than that because to say at least some is intrinsically localized or intrinsically subjective. And so for something to be universal or objective, especially universal, then it should be all encompassing. 
So it, it will need to apply to all sentient beings everywhere throughout the cosmos and our universe, especially for at least our universe to be universal. Um, so I, I, that's kind of my objection there. Um, one other point that you talked about, uh, which was interesting, was you got into some biblical flaw, um, uh, prophecy about, um, and you mentioned the, the Islamic groups taking over a big portion of the Middle East uh, as being some sort of fulfillment of prophecy. Um, I, I'm curious if, if the Bible uh, prophesized specifically that a different religious group would be taking over or if they, they predicted it would be Christianity or they were just being unclear about it. Thank you very much. I, I know I've thrown a few questions in here at you, um, but uh, hopefully that will do okay for my opening statement. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much, Randolph. And we are going to go into the open discussion portion for tonight's debate, folks. We are very excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. want to let you know before we do jump into it, you will see at the bottom right of your screen, Modern Day Debate is a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you were from. Christian, atheist, Democrat, Republican, black, white, gay, straight, you name it, folks. Really, everybody, we're glad you're here. And so with that, we're going to jump into the open conversation and also want to mention our guests are linked not only in the YouTube description box for this, you could say, episode, but also for our podcast episode. So if you're listening to this via podcast as we upload all of our debates onto podcast roughly a week after, and we're trying to tighten that gap, but our guests are linked in the description for each podcast episode as well. So with that, thank you very much, gentlemen, and the floor is all yours. Absolutely. Thank you. Um <clears throat> So a couple things that I would want to, I think, um, point to. So the first thing I would want to say is in regards to the morality. Um, okay. Uh, now, I would think it is, first off, interesting to note, um, I th you probably could say that every human individually thinks killing at least some person on the planet is wrong. I don't know if I would go that far, but I have a feeling that even Jeffrey Dahmer thinks killing Jeffrey Dahmer is wrong, right? That's um, a good point. Mm -hmm. However, I, I think we—I don't think we need to necessarily get that specific to prove the ubiquity because of the fact that culturally, uh, we all seem to come to the same conclusions. And, and to give an example of that, right? If an individual, because that person happens to be mad, comes to the conclusion that. Uh, all technological devices are, in fact, bananas, right? Um, well, chances are there are going to be a significant amount of people around him who don't come to the same conclusion. And if we go to Japan, there's going to be a significant amount of people there who don't, you know, and so on and so forth, um, because it is an objective fact that indeed telephones are not bananas or cell phones. I think I said originally, okay. uh, like their technology, whatever I said, doesn't matter that they're not bananas, right? We'll call it cell phones. That's fine. Right. Um, <laughs> In other words, there, you know, we do absolutely allow for the exception, right? The the potential Dahmer or something like that. But when you get ubiquity cross culturally, like if all nations understand that phones are not bananas on an, on a cultural scale, that would indicate to me that there's very strong evidence, if I was unaware of what either of these things were, that phones indeed are not bananas, right? Um, now that's a little, little bit of a redactio ad absurdum in a way, but I, I think it makes the point in that. Um, you know, when we look at things like universal morality, um, the things we disagree on are almost always the details, right? It's not the actual law. 
Um, it may be, I think, because I live in a very aristocratic society that perhaps killing a serf is okay, but killing an aristocrat isn't. But there's still something within me that says killing at least some people is not uh, morally correct, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that, well, I, I, let, let me not say what I think because I don't want to go too long. What, what, do you, what would you say about that? Uh, yeah, so I, I think, uh, first of all, uh, I'm going to guess that you've never owned a banana phone before. Um. Right. <laughs> so, but seriously, um, that's probably a better question for somebody like Ray Comfort anyway. Uh, he seems to like bananas. Um, the uh, I, I've digressed. Um, when you're talking about, um, even if all cultures across the world uh, set up uh, laws forbidding murder and things like that, um, that's still a subjective uh, standpoint from my perspective, because um, it is still culturally based. And the fact that laws need to be set up to, 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 uh, to make it clear that this is illegal and there is going to be a consequence to committing this act of murder, um, then therefore <clears throat> uh, that pretty much makes the case for saying, yeah, this is not objective. The law is setting, uh, uh, setting a standard and if people all agree with it, then um, then objective uh, or say non-subjective determinations can be can be made from it. Uh, I still don't think it's entirely uh, um, universal though, because there are still some outliers there. There could be, we see suicide bombers who will go and kill a number of people indiscriminately very often, and they know that they're going to die in the process. Um, so they're actually okay with being killed over this. Uh, and I think that's a pretty powerful example, or should I say explosive example, uh, for um, if, in favor of it being sub- still being subjective. Well, I think even, you know, even with the suicide bomber, I do think very often, whether it's for nationalistic purposes or religious purposes, mm-hmm. um, there is still something they are seeking to, and usually even someone that yep. they are seeking to defend. Right. Um, and I, and I do think, it, you know, it is interesting. We bring up a serial killer or, or a, or a terrorist or some kind, right. And yet we can still find someone. There's someone on the planet that they think is not okay to kill, right? But even still, I still think that's still um, – I just said the word still like four times. I apologize. Well, it's okay. Um, um, it's, uh, it, the word is moving, so <laughs> it's moving on now. Um, that still is uh, making the case for it being subjective because if it truly was objective and universal – uh, then it would be um, innately known by everyone and there wouldn't be anybody disagreeing with it. That, that's my view on this. So how would you account for the madman? Um, and I know I use the, the, the phone banana example, but okay. there's much more. Having fun example. with the banana comment. Don't worry. <laughs> oh no, you're, you're fine. My, my only point was just to say that, you know, we do, we have r- very real life examples of that, right? Um, people mm-hmm. who believe that they are seeing things that aren't there or yep. that they are a certain level of powerful that they are not, or, you know, whatever it happens to be certain um, psychological traumas can cause you to believe very strange things. Um, but a lot of the things that these people believe are objectively wrong, right? Like in other words, we would agree that when a, a schizophrenic person has a conversation with somebody else, or even sees the shadow of something, a lightly schizophrenic person, right? It's objectively not there, even if the person does think that it's there. Um, right. So perceptions play a role for sure. Right. So if we can have something that's objective, that isn't understood universally, in this case, it may be because of trauma or a mental defect or something along those lines, but doesn't that doesn't, in other words, doesn't the madman prove that 
that doesn't actually account for um, morality, right? Like just because the person exists doesn't mean that there isn't uh, a violation of this rule. In fact, no, because if it is universal and objective, then uh, even the madman would still agree with it because they're still a human being. They're still a sentient life form. And that, that's, well, that's my view on this. And, and I'm, I'm curious how this uh, morality uh, uh, consideration uh, leads to uh, proof that there is a God. Uh, well, I would argue when it comes to morals, mm -hmm. uh, I would argue that morals are by their very nature personal. Um, because morality is essentially... I agree with that, yeah. I appreciate that. Because um, it seems to me morality is essentially a combination of various has and or, uh, various shalls and shall nots um and objects for example which is one thing that people typically bring up for objective morality uh objects don't have any care whatsoever when it comes to what you shall or shall not do and neither do impersonal forces and neither do uh you know and so uh, the so on and so forth right so the very fact that murdering is wrong seems to me to be indication of a personal giver uh, in other words, if something is only understood and given by person, uh, given and understood, should have reversed those by persons. Uh, it seems logical to me to assume that the ultimate giver and understander of those things is also a person. Um, and if that person needs to be greater than humanity, uh, then obviously that leads to some level of divine person, right? Because by greater than humanity, I would say the aliens, just to clarify, right, wouldn't wouldn't count. It would have to be greater than humanity in a sense of like. Uh, transcendence, right? Like they are able to actually give us laws that are transcending us, and therefore we must all agree to them, kind of thing. Okay, and that would seemingly indicate to me a a mind. Excuse me. And, and so, are you? Is it your position that um, morality must be given by somebody greater, such as a deity? Yes, I, I would say there there must be a um, some level of greater mind or personhood that gives it and, and greater mind or personhood would be a, basically a fancy way of saying a deity. Right. I, I think that you're taking a, a dim view on humanity because I, I think much more highly of people than that. I, I think people are quite capable of coming up with these determinations on our own. Um, myself, I'm, I've never held a belief in any deities. I've never uh, ascribed to any of that, uh, any religions or anything. I just always, been like this and i've i look at what other philosophers have written people like john rawls in particular uh with his theory of justice uh he uh, he introduces the concept of the veil of ignorance uh, which is um a systemic form of empathy you could say uh, where uh, it's main, mainly for lawmakers to consider if their laws are put into place the laws that they're writing um and then they were to be randomly thrown into society with any gender, any sex, any role, any race, any health conditions, any economic position, and so on, criminal record or not, uh, things like that, any different possible variable. So they could determine, it, it's a thought exercise to help them to determine if their laws are going to be uh, fair and equal for everyone, or if they're going to be uh, putting somebody at a disadvantage um, arbitrarily. So uh, with, with, with the hope of avoiding it. Now, of course, this, this depends on the practitioner, the lawmaker uh, actually um, 
applying this exercise uh, adequately. And so we, uh, it's still not a perfect process, but it, it's, it's part of the progress that I see. And I, I see this as being a lot better because it is, um, it is focusing on what um, individual people in society need rather than what somebody uh, from a book from 2000 years ago is dictating what the rules should be. Um, without any understanding of what's going on in modern day society. So I, I think of morality as something that changes culturally as well. And I, I think it really depends on the individuals. I, I don't see evidence that it's coming from a God. I've certainly never received any term, anything from any deity as far as I know. Um, so I, I put myself out here as a counter example to, to your position well, there. So let me say, I, I certainly do understand the position, but I think it slightly misunderstands mine. Uh, and let me okay. explain. Why. I apologize. Yeah. Oh, you're totally fine. You're totally fine. Um, when when I say that morality must be given and grounded in some way in a personal mind, uh, I do not think that that means that persons who are outside of the path, if you will, of this personal mind cannot themselves form a uh, a level of coherent morality. Uh, to give you sort of two examples that illustrate the point very briefly. Okay. Um, you uh, obviously have a, a Canadian flag in your background, so you're a citizen of Canada, right? Oh, yeah. Now, the laws of Canada exist whether or not you decide to follow them. But if That's you decide correct. not to follow them, that doesn't mean that you're incapable of coming up with a system of laws that exist within Canada, right? Mm -hmm. um, to use laws, an example... point out, the laws have changed over time. Yeah. Well, that, that's true. And, and we'll, of course, um, definitely want to address that because I think legalism, or legality, rather, uh, and morality together is a certainly interesting topic when it comes to oh morality. yeah <laughs> they don't always align <laughs> yeah no kidding right yeah. um uh, but um to give an example that i think doesn't assume my own worldview um and, and i've given this example to, to some atheists in the past now first let me just ask very briefly um not that it'll change the example but i'm just curious because it will change how i argue after uh, are you a moral realist or subjectivist I consider morality to be subjective. Um, I don't consider it to be objective. Does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, so assuming for a moment that it was just for the sake of an example, okay, um, let's say that I did not base the philosophy that I have here in um, God, but rather in human flourishing of some kind, right? Okay. Now, you could agree that since I am a human person, uh, since I am somebody who seeks my own flourishing by nature, it's almost inherent within me as it is with all living creatures, right? Um, that I could still not only have a system of morality, but also seek human flourishing, even if my foundation was not human flourishing. However, that's only because human flourishing pre-exists as an objective fact, right? In other words, I totally grant that you could have uh, morality, and creativity and all the different things that I would say are grounded in a God, but they're because God exists and created us together as in humanity, not because of my adherence to the deity per se. Right. And, and I would, I would point out um, in CS Lewis's abolition of man. I'm not sure if you're familiar. No. Um, he I'm talks about, he for sure. Well, so he replaces the term God with Tao just to be less philosophically loaded. Right. Uh, as in the Tao Te Ching. Yeah, um, because it is interesting. With. There is sort of a, um, you know, other cultures do have the same kind of idea, even when they don't have it as a theistic idea, which I think is interesting in the form of the Tao, the Logos, Dharma, things of that nature. 
this sort of idea of like a transcendent force of reason of some kind uh, that gr- bounds all of our morality, that bounds all of our, um, you know, creation and stuff like that. Um, not creation, but creativity. Uh, and as Lewis points out in The Abolition of Man, you can build something upon, you build a foundation upon a foundation that is not the Tao. Actually, and it'll still exist. Here, there, Taoism does have multiple deities. No, I understand that. The point that he was making is just the concept of the Tao itself as a sort of transexist, uh, no, not transexistent, transcendent, self-existent force that you needed to like get yourself more in line with uh, in order to be, uh, you know, more, uh, I don't know what the word even would be, but because righteousness per se isn't so much of a concept in Taoism, um, but more in line with your purpose in life, I guess, is the way you would put it. In other words, to be in line with the Tao in Taoism is to be fulfilling your purpose in life and the uh, purpose in your creation in life, right? Um, at least according to my understanding of the Tao Te Ching. Now, the point of that, though, is just to say that you can build a foundation on something that is not this transcendent force in uh, his abolition of man, right? But it's going to be flawed somewhere, number one. And number two, without the pre-existence of the idea of foundations and so on, um, you wouldn't even have the idea to begin with. You know what I mean? And so and I think I'm doing a poor job articulating it, to be honest with you, um, but... It sounds like you're you're assuming that uh, our ideas like this must be learned from somebody else. Am I correct on that? Not quite. So it's more like it, I, I am doing a poor job articulating it. So I apologize. It's more like the idea that um, you can build on the wrong foundation, right? But that doesn't mean the right foundation doesn't exist. Nor does it mean that you aren't borrowing from the right foundation in building on the wrong foundation. Does that make sense? I agree with that. It's uh, how reality works. Right. So, and that's, and I'm glad we uh, agree there. So that would be sort of my uh, way of explaining why you could be a perfectly moral person, um, at least from human standards, of course, uh, because philosophical morality, I think is a different question, but, um, and not be a theist, right. Or a Christian to be more specific. Um, And I would say the Bible is even quite clear in explicitly stating that when it says things like, um, you know, uh, Romans one, that the men have an inherent understanding of creator or, uh, all men are made in the image of God, which is even more specific. Um, and, and the idea just being that the Bible is certainly saying that it believes you Randolph Richardson are made in God's image, even if you don't acknowledge it right now, I would grant that you don't believe that, but the point is it does account for you having morality and all these different things while not being a Christian. So if I am in God's image in that respect. Uh, that basically means I'm following, uh, my morality is based on uh, God's morality then, is what you're saying. I would say yes. I would say you and, and, and all humans indeed. And um, I'll give you an example of why that is actually incorrect um, for my case, because uh, there is a, there are examples throughout the Bible of, uh, of God um, ordering or, or causing immoral acts to occur or allowing them to occur and not intervening. Um, or even, for example, uh, with, uh, with Abraham being ordered to kill his own son, Isaac. I have a big problem with that as a parent myself. I would not follow such an order. And uh, like Abraham just went along with it instead and was going to carry it out right to the end. It wasn't God who intervened, but it was angels. And then what's left out of that story, which is also additionally disturbing, 
um, to me, it, it fails to teach any lesson that's really, really meaningful in morality there because it doesn't get into the psychological ramifications on Isaac's life after his father tied him down and tried to kill him. You know, that would be a horrific experience for any child, I think, um, who is depending on their father to look after them. And then their father suddenly tries to do this. Like, to me, this is pretty powerful evidence that um, to the contrary of what you're saying, um, I am clearly not in God's image if I'm not following his moral path. Well, I think there is a difference between the path and the commands itself. And let me actually give what I think is a perfect example of that from the Bible itself. Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not flooding planets. Right. So, Nor do I have any desire to do so. And <laughs> I think that actually, the, the, the fact that you said that, I think will, will help illustrate the Sodom and Gomorrah example. Because if you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, who is God's faithful servant and indeed is considered the father of faith, right? Um, he actually is fighting kind of tooth and nail really, um, for Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, he's advocating on the part of the sinner, right? Saying like, don't destroy them. What if you were to find 50 righteous, would you spare the city then? And so on and so forth until he whittles it down to five or 10, excuse me. Just to um, kind of bring it back to the main category of theism more generally, just because that's what I promise people. If you're able to tie it together, that'll be good enough. But otherwise I, I want to redirect. I was just about to ask how this all ties into proving there's a God because uh, he got into morality. <laughs> Yeah, and so um, the the point there, I guess, just being that it does appear that, biblically speaking, God does expect that you are going to feel certain ways about even his own actions, and he even expects that of his own servants, which would be, in our particular example, myself, but in that example, Abraham. Um, the indication there being that I think that there is, you know, there's no contradiction there, at least biblically speaking, because of that explanation. God has made us in such a way that we are to feel that way about our fellow man. The question then becomes, though, okay, now why do you feel that way about your fellow man, right? What is it about human life or even life in general that seemingly has this idea of sacredness? And that goes into the whole idea of morality where we all tend to have different definitions about the same things, but they're all the same things that we all tend to reverence and that we all tend to not reverence and hate. And those things to me indicate because – laws are only understood by virtue of persons and are only given by virtue of persons, some level of a transcendent mind or person. Um, and you did, you know, you do have to take a couple steps back to get to that point. I'll admit the moral argument is not just morality exists, therefore God, you do have to certainly explain where you're going there. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of the general point. Yeah. I, I just don't see how the, the morality uh, motivations and, uh, factor into to proving that a god exists because from what i can see people are developing different moral standards throughout the world um without uh referencing a deity there are many who do reference their gods or goddesses for whichever religions they're in and there are many who don't and uh, and laws have been formed in many different ways and i take a look at uh, a country like saudi arabia that has laws that um they will categorize you as a terrorist if they discover you don't believe in Allah if you're not a Muslim and they will uh, torture you to death that's how people get sentenced there for that and that, that's a law that the the Dawkins Foundation recently uh, reported on a few years ago when it uh, was first introduced to Saudi Arabia society um, and then there's others that are um, operating this way too and I take a look at the the state of uh, uh, Georgia which recently made it uh, uh, 
penalty, I guess, 99 years in prison for anybody involved in uh, uh, causing an abortion or anybody who's having an abortion. And uh, there was a, a person, one lady, I think was, it was reported in the news after that law was put in effect that somebody shot her and then she was uh, sentenced to 99 years in prison for, uh, for an abortion, basically, because her baby died. She was shot in the stomach. And uh, it was somebody else who did the shooting. But, but that person, there didn't seem to be any reporting on that going on, like what happened to them. So uh, there's, this is, uh, in Georgia, these are people who are relying on Christianity and the Christian God as their guidance for morality there. And we see in society throughout the U.S. and Canada and other places, too, that there are different people with different views on abortion. So I'm, as far as universal or objective uh, standard coming from an all-encompassing deity, I'm not seeing evidence of that. So I have good reason to not believe it in, in that respect alone. I do have a CJ just to I think there is a little bit of confusion. Someone in the chat has asked, are you making in terms of your moral argument? This might clarify. Are you making a moral argument for the existence of God based on objective moral values or based on like common human motivation? Like you could say universal human motivation for why you do things, because those are conceptually distinct. And I I think the at least one person in the audience is confused about that and i'm frankly not clear either absolutely so to to clarify i'm making an argument for objective morality uh, as a case for god and i'm evidencing the objective morality in the fact that humans come to the same conclusions about certain acts but they don't come to the same conclusions about the details of those acts so in other words murder is ubiquitously wrong but what constitutes a murder is not ubiquitously understood um, but the fact that it's ubiquitously wrong proves a level of objective morality, and objective morality, in my opinion, proves a transcendent being. Yeah, and I, I disagree partly with this point because uh, there uh, there isn't consensus on what qualifies as murder, not just in the details, but in major ways. Uh, abortion here in Canada is, uh, is, is not illegal. It is, uh, it's it's uh, regarded as a standard medical procedure, um, but there are many people in the U.S. who view it as murder. So there, there's different attitudes about that. And for another example, to get away from abortion, I take a look at how uh, states like Texas and the U.S. have the death penalty. I see that as systemic murder um, because they're, uh, as far as people on death row who don't want to die, who are proclaiming their innocence and end up meeting that deadline and being put to death anyway, to me, that's systemic murder. Um, and uh, we don't have death, we don't have capital punishment here in Canada, so we, we life in prison but we don't have capital punishment so at least people here are if they're wrongfully convicted they don't end up facing a death penalty it's still not a great situation but there's some issues with the way uh, morality and, and what is qualifying as murder is perceived uh, i'm sure that many people who favor capital punishment do not see it as a murder right but that that kind of falls right into my point though right texas has laws that say murder is wrong and yet there is a death penalty in other words What's what is actually discussed here is what constitutes a murder, but they all agree that killing at least some people is wrong. Right. And that's why I say like the ubiquity of the thing itself is um, indeed ubiquitous. It's a matter of when I call it the details, it's what specifically constitutes that thing. Right. Um, That we tend to dispute about. And that's pretty common for 
you know, things that we are not quite aware of the source of. Like, for example, there was nobody who was arguing that we don't stick to the ground, but we didn't know what gravity was at, mm -hmm. at one point in time. You know what I mean? Yeah, in other these, words, these are, is, just, these are scientific facts. These are not moral statements now. Well, I would argue that um, that morality is a fact and that we just simply haven't proven it yet, per se. Um, but th it's the same general concept that I'm saying, right? Like the the, the we all knew that we stuck to the ground in some way. Mm -hmm. But there might have been different arguments as to whether or not uh, or as to why that actually happened, because things were unknown. Right. And, and I think in the same way, you can see that with uh, murder. But to even get to a because I wanted to jump really well, quick I just to, see you you have defeated your own argument by using the phrasing at least some killing is is wrong because that that's automatically sets the scope to being local or subjective see but not if they all again that's why i say you you have to account for because basically what you're what you say when you say that is that the madman um the, the madman disproves objective uh, objective excuse me objectivity in general because right? because the madman being a human being still has a different opinion on what qualifies as murder and what doesn't and that's why we're having problems with this calling this an objective standard right but not even like and, that though right because the madman might have a different idea as to what constitutes a telephone like we were saying earlier but that doesn't change the objective idea of what a telephone is right yeah uh, in other words the exception on an individual level doesn't really have the same weight as the objection on a cultural level Right. If an entire culture came to the conclusion that cell phones were bananas, that might be something that'd be pretty strange. But one person doing it isn't really all that crazy. We know mad men exist. Yeah. The banana thing is a technical uh, and phones is is technical definitions. Uh, it's uh, I don't see how that relates to morality. Morality is is how people are treating or mistreating each other. And that that's a, you're dealing with life versus life when you're dealing with morality. Well, so let me let me jump to a, a different abstract real quick to see if we can get any farther with a different abstract. So same okay. arguments, but sort of a different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so numbers do seem well. Let me just ask: Do you think numbers exist? They're concepts. Would, they're they're concepts for quantifying things, and they're useful. Uh, they're they're a sophisticated form of labels. So uh, if you want to say a quantity of something, a specific quantity of something exists, then yeah, I agree with that. Um, I can tell you, uh, uh, zero is uh, is definitely uh, abstract. Um, a number one or a number two or a number three would uh, be um, uh, representative, uh, a way of labeling a quantity of something that we're holding in our hands. So, so in other words, we would agree that the value that is one exists, even if the symbol that is one or what the concept of one is might be. A human thing. In other words, if there's no the humans around, concept, one tree still is, holds the value is, of one tree. I mean, the concept is a fact. Um, the of reality. The uh, uh, the way the symbols that are used are just a label, a means of communicating it. Exactly. So. Right. So, if indeed numbers do exist, um, I think there uh, is an immediate question, which of course philosophers of mathematics have asked for thousands of years at this point, which is how exactly. Like, show me one and paint it red. You can't do it, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's an, In other words, it's an abstract. And yet, we know that that abstract is, in fact, not abstract. The value, the, like I said, if there's no humans on the planet and there's one tree on the planet, that tree holds the value of one tree, regardless of if anybody perceives it. Um, yeah, that's so right. how do we account for that abstract existing would be my first question.
if we, if, um, and well, not if anything, just how do we account for the abstract? Well, it, it's an intellectual exercise. How does this lead to proving there's a God? Uh, well, that's actually uh, precisely where we're trying to get at, right? So when we have some level of an abstract, people have tended to explain these things with some level of uh, the metaphysical of understanding, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so when we're looking at these abstracts, um, one of the things that we consistently notice with these abstracts is much like morality, reason, creativity, even numbers. Uh, they're only understood by given by persons and personal minds, um, mm -hmm. even to uh, animals, seemingly like there's the, the border collies that learn math. But they learn math from humans, right? As far as the actual um, structure that is numbers and stuff like that, right? Okay. Um, so persons seemingly are what communicates this. So if there has to be something outside of humans that concrete that makes concrete those abstract numbers, but also that thing has to be personal because only persons understand things like numbers, what does that indicate? It indicates uh, human capability. Are, are you saying that the the, the dogs uh, that can learn math that have to learn it from humans, that it's a similar, it's a metaphor for humans having to learn this stuff from a god? Uh, well, I do think there is certainly a metaphor to go there. Um, but the point that I'm actually uh, making more specifically is just to say, uh, if numbers exist outside of humans, okay. but are only understood and conceptualized by persons, then that implies a extra human person right in other words a person who is outside of the human so that's just how we uh, understand the universe it's it's an intellectual tool for us the way i see it but you so you you i don't know if you if you noticed though you just said so implying well yeah that's true well so then you what's your implication then by that is okay yeah so a transcendent mind seemingly exists so what well, a transcendent mind would be because that's what an extra human person would be, right? A, a person outside of humanity, greater than humanity, would be a transcendent mind. So, if math indicates I'm, the existence I'm, of a transcendent I'm, mind, I'm, I'm I don't don't believe that such a being exists. So, you know, I'm I'm right. still looking forward to uh, something that's going to be able to prove this uh, outside of uh, the criteria that I laid out in my opening statement. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I. I, I I don't mean to be, you know, too abrasive, but I, I think you're actually in the process of proving it right now because you, you just admitted, right? No, I didn't. That, I, it's just the way I speak. I must have misspoke. Well, I understand that. And if, if you if you want to, you know, you can maybe rephrase the answer. That's perfectly fine. However, right. Yeah, get rid of the word. Just granted, numbers do exist concretely and outside of persons, meaning the values. The value uh, of one tree is one tree, regardless of any person is there, right? Well, I, I said these are facts. Yeah, if, if, right. there's, if there's three, uh, if there's three trees in my yard, then the fact is there are three trees in my yard, whether I communicate that with anybody or not, whether anybody's right. there to notice that or not. The fact is that they are there. So, so we agree that they exist, which means that they're apart from humans, right? It's a labeling, as I said early on. It's it's one way that we can label things it's a sophisticated way of labeling because it, it it has a function to it of uh helping us to understand the quantity right but that's still saying essentially the same thing right because if again no humans exist but one tree exists the value of one tree still exists it is one tree objective of any mind to understand that it's one tree right yeah that's what i just said right exactly so 
it's that's, greater that's than outside of humans. But that, that has no reference to a deity. Hang on, because th that's where this now we get a second part, right? If it's outside of persons, but abstract are only understood by persons, then that implies the existence of an extra human person, right? I'm not saying it's only understood by humans. I, we don't know that to be the case. Uh, but we it have is, an example of, of non-personal agents understanding things like it, the abstract. It is. Well, I, I'm not going to accept the shift of burden of proof here because um, I'm I'm not making that claim. But um, you know, it's I, I did acknowledge that this is a capability of the human mind to be able to count things and uh, and whatnot. Um, there is uh, some suspicion that crows can count things as well. It's a different species. And so, you know, it may be possible that crows can do that. I'm not sure. I'm not an expert in that area. Well, and I guess I don't know anything necessarily about crows, to be honest with you. It's not my particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we can keep going on this as long as we before long. So no worries if we keep going on this particular argument. But I know that uh, people want to hear at least one person I've seen wants to hear a response to the Kalam if there's any more points to hash out regarding the Kalam cosmological. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that this isn't really getting us to, uh, to proof of a god. It's just, it's talking about human capabilities. So. Well, and I guess I'll just sort of, I will wrap up then just because obviously I don't want us to get stuck going, yeah. you know, in a back and forth. But yeah, uh, I think my only point there would just be to say that, um, it, it, you know, if, Things which are only understood by persons exist outside of persons. To me, it implies a, a person outside of humanity, meaning, an, a, meaning a transcendent mind of some kind. And if that is indeed not something that is, um, uh, you know, accepted, I guess, perhaps I didn't do a particularly good job of describing it, whatever it happens to be. Perhaps I did. And you know, who knows? Comments will say, who, who cares? <laughs> Well, let's get to the let's get to the clump, right? That's Comments are always great. Well, you know the, the dark side of the moon. Um, we guess that it's there, and uh, just because we can't see it, but we can still kind of make up these ideas on our own and then perceive it, and then eventually China sends uh, space equipment out there to take pictures of the dark side of the moon. But um, we we eventually got to that point. But uh, before then, all we could do was guess that the moon is spherical. Turns out that it is, but. Um, no surprise there based on other things we've been able to draw conclusions from. Yeah. Let's go to the Kalam. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, I mean, I put forward the Kalam, so perhaps I should actually ask you if you have responses to it first. So, yeah, the, uh, the thing with, um, the, the three, like the three points you made with Kalam cosmological argument, I'll just call it KCA from now on, I think to save time. Um, you stated the first premise was that everything that has began to exist has a cause. That's a claim. I reject that. Um, I, or I say, I don't accept that claim. I don't accept that premise. And because I don't accept it, um, that's, that's it for the climb cosmological argument for me. Um, the reason I don't accept it is because we, um, are still as a species learning more about the universe. We don't know everything about it. Uh, there's also consideration in quantum physics, apparently, that there are things that um, that materialize on their own, um, that just seem to materialize out of nothing. That's what it looks like to people. Um, you know, the problem with the Kalam, with the KCA, is that it also uh, 
is seems to be making an assumption that um, the universe hasn't always been here, that the cosmos hasn't always been. And uh, that's a pretty big claim to make. It is um, one that I'm not convinced by. Well, and I, I think there are a couple things that need to be noted. You mentioned earlier that um, you didn't want to shift the burden of proof. And don't get me wrong, I accepted the burden of proof, so I understand that. Um, well, you made the claim, so that, right. that burden comes with you. Yeah, that, that's normal. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's important to note, though, that when, you know, when we make this reverse claim, like, okay, can you give me an example of X, Y, and Z? Because when you say, oh, well, I don't accept X because of the potentiality of Y and Z. Well, if you don't have necessarily good evidence to say that Y and Z exist, there's no reason to reject X. And to give a perfect example with the black swan analogy, right? Well, so what you're saying is that I need to accept it if I can't come up with an alternative? Not, not necessarily. It's one of those things where it's like if the, so if the evidence, first off, if the evidence is good, right? That's a thing entirely of itself. But it seems to me like your rejection of it isn't simply that the evidence isn't good, but that there's a possibility that it may not be the case. And there's a possibility that I could float off of the planet tomorrow, but I'm 100% sure that it won't happen. The right? problem is that the Kalam suffers from the same thing that the antiposition for God existing suffers from. Um, that I, I clarified at the beginning that I, I can't take for that reason. I'm not, I don't have the tools to explore every corner of the cosmos and let alone our own universe and uh to prove that every single thing out there had a beginning and, and how do we determine that everything be, everything began you know um it's uh, it it's a problem um and of course the other points in the kalam don't uh, in the kca don't tell us uh, don't seem to lead to the existence of a deity they just make a claim about the universe see but i just i don't see how that can be a solid form of argumentation if i just you know sure. just to be blunt well, about it. um and, and the reason i think black swan fallacy is what i cited to explain why there's there could be a potential problem there you're right it is potential i don't know for certain uh of the other but i cannot also rule out the the opposite see but i i, I think that so let's take the black swan analogy, right? and why, do, why does the why does the oh. kta get a special treatment here to be able to rule out the opposite well, it doesn't. So, and let me, that's why okay. I say, let me get the, the, the swan, right? Because the, okay. the swan, I think, is a good example. Okay. Let's say all known swans have been white. Let's say that were, was the case, right? If that is the case, there is no reason to assume that a swan would be black. If you happen to see a black swan, sure, right? But there is no reason to conclude outside of that if you have nothing but white swans and mm -hmm. you're able to, um, you know, deduce that, okay, hey, I just went and asked over there in japan they have nothing but white swans and <laughs> yeah. i went over you know and so on and so forth traveled the world let's say okay right uh in fact that's how we deduce all facts right uh we know for example the um terminal velocity because every single time we drop two things on the planet earth they eventually hit terminal velocity unless there's certain uh you know uh things that uh like for example feather feathers will float down at a slower rate uh but i think i don't know if faster on the moon apparently okay Interesting. I didn't know that actually. Uh, but but the <laughs> idea, <don't> right? <laughs> just sort of being that, um, even using the the black swan fallacy as an example, there's still no reason to conclude a black swan exists if you have nothing but white swans and you're able to go over to other people and they can also say, hey, no, we also have nothing but white swans, right? 
In other yeah. words, you're arguing simply because because uh, and the reason I say this is important is because literally almost anything is potentially possible. Right. Well, it's potentially possible that my nose could turn into a tomato and fall off. But I'm certain that it will not occur because it never has occurred. Right. The likelihood of that is extremely low. Uh, right. It's probably pretty close on bordering to impossible. Exactly. Um, right. Exactly. Uh, the, the point of the black swan fallacy is pointing that out. And I normally don't like to bring fallacies into these things, but uh, it was for brevity. I mentioned it mainly um, to get the point clearly right. across. So it's. To, it is about saying that we should not be closed to other possibilities. What the Kalam is effectively doing is telling us that we should be closed to other possibilities. And it is, uh, it is reasonable to, to deduce that certain things are a fact, like uh, back in the time when only white swans were known about that swans are normally white. Yeah, and then until the black swan was discovered. But um, the same with the, the Kalam. If uh, we've not explored the entire universe, it's still reasonable to, um, to be open to other possibilities. Um, there's still things we're learning. There's, there, there's stuff that we're still learning about all this. And I don't think we're at a point where we can uh, definitively say for certain that, um, that the, the first premise in the Kalam is something that we should accept as a fact. Um, I'm not willing to. Well, and to, to be honest with you, though, even if we doctored it to account for your objection, so for example, we could say all known things have a cause to exist, or maybe all things are uh, all known things that began have a cause to exist, or in other words, all things that are known to have began have a cause to their existence, right? Maybe we could word it that way. Okay. Um, sure. That's and good. that would be, I think, you know, even still, if we word it that way, we still get to the same conclusions. All things that uh, all things known to exist um, have a cause. Right. The universe appears to have began to exist. Therefore, the universe appears to have been caused. Right. Why, why do you think that the universe began to exist? Uh, well, I think there's a couple instances. My uh, I think the best argument personally is um what I have heard termed the mathematics argument. I don't know if this is particular. Uh, I don't know how popular this is, but basically the idea is um, one is the first number, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and so on all come from one. Therefore, there must be a original one. And, and originally, that's Aristotle's idea, right? The unmoved okay. movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the idea that there has to be this uncaused first cause. But I think. Uh, the reason that I think that whoever it is that eventually turned this into mathematics uh, did that was because mathematics is a real world example that proves the point, I think, that there is a um, starting point where all things seem to begin. Even mathematics start with one or you could say zero if you prefer, though, I would this, argue this is how we see things. how people typically see the world. And this is quite common because. Uh, we're used to things being manufactured, plants growing from seeds and things like that, and, and all this stuff that goes on in our world. So it is quite common for us to make this assumption, just like the people originally did when they only saw white swans, to assume that there were only white swans in the world. And uh, it is not an unreasonable uh, conclusion to draw, but uh, it does carry with it that caveat that there could be more out there. And so uh, the universe, let, let's say with the KCA, that uh, we decide to follow it through and say that the universe was caused. How does that bring us to a God existing? 
Uh, well, I will admit, I think Kalam only gets you to some level of deism. I think you have to go farther to get, for example, the Abrahamic Christian God. Okay. Um, the reason I would say some level of deism rather than maybe like a, a pantheism or something like that um, is because, number one, I think uh, space, time, and matter are all, um, you know, if they are the things which are to be created, right? Um, then obviously whatever is creating or causing, let's go with causing. That way I'm not assuming anything. Um, whatever is causing must be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. Why? Um, because space, time, and material don't yet exist. So um, if if there's no time, then how can that, how can anything be created? Because uh, time is, the passage of time is it denotes change and to create something is is change <coughs> excuse me um to be a sticking point here it well and I, I wouldn't pretend that it's not there certainly is a aspect of time and in fact i'll even i'll even give you one right uh christians have this same problem in the afterlife too like how do you understand eternal life yet also being there and not being there before it seemingly is a difficult thing to understand um, but what I would simply say is that I don't think there's any way to get out of that. In other words, assume that the, you know, let's say we prove that the universe does exist or not does exist, excuse me, does begin to exist. Um, and at that point, whatever the arguments that is, are brought up by atheist philosophers and cosmologists and so on are brought up. Right. Okay. Um, we, when we were um, at that point, Oh shoot. Oh, hang on. I kind of lost my train of thought, man. What was I saying talking about the KCA and uh, talking about how the universe began to exist? We're hypothetically accepting. I'm hypothetically accepting the KCA so you can make your right. argument about how that leads to God existing. Right. So um, if we were to prove that the universe began to exist or at least get to within a mathematical certainty, right, it's where it's like it's theoretically possible, but it's a mathematical certainty that it did begin to exist. Right. OK. Um, we would still have to account for the question of you being an atheist, me being a Christian, we'd still have to account for the question of how then did this begin when time itself does not exist? If time, space, and matter is what is beginning to exist, right, um, then how did this begin in any real way? And to be honest with you, I think... created without the passage of time initially, yeah. Exactly, and, and to be honest with you, I think the fact that that would be a problem for both of us if the universe was indeed proven to begin to exist... Yep. Um, to a certain Thank extent, you. relieves me of the burden. You know what I mean? Because I don't, I don't have an answer. I'll fully grant that, but I don't think that anybody does because that's something that's so outside of our temporal understanding that I don't, I don't even know if you could. I can give you something that might actually be helpful to you. <laughs> um, it's uh, I don't consider time to be something that's ever stopped. It is uh, just uh, a characteristic of the universe. Uh, I don't see it as a traversable dimension like X, Y, and Z in our 3D space that we live in. Um, I, I think it's just something that we're able to, as pattern match, pattern seeking um, mammals, that we are uh, able to see patterns in cesium atoms and in clockwork and whatnot that uh, we can use to predict um, that tomorrow at about this time, the sun's going to be in about the same position. We're going to get roughly the same amount of light unless there's a change in the clouds or something. And we're able to use this for scheduling and all sorts of advanced things like this um, compared to just the very rudimentary basic of what time is. And uh, so I, I, I 
the flow of time and science fiction, exploring time travel and all the paradoxes that are inherent with that um, are, are fascinating and interesting, but I, I think they have a tendency to mislead us to think of time as, uh, as a fourth dimension, and, and I don't see it that way. I see it as something that's expressed as a fourth dimension as a matter of convenience, but um, it's just, uh, it, it's really a non-issue. Um, uh, before um, the Big Bangs, I'm, I'm saying that plural because I'm taking into consideration uh, Hawking's and Penrose uh, updated theory on the matter that uh, takes quantum physics into consideration and uh, moves on from it just being a single Big Bang, um, that um, before our universe existed at all, let's assume that it did begin, um, there's still time, even though there's uh, time could still be observed if we were there to observe it. And so that, that's kind of my attitude on this, but I know this doesn't help my case very much. It's probably more helpful to yours, but that is how I perceive time um, as something that's just, uh, just a, a very um, uninteresting and normal characteristic of the universe that, that doesn't have any special traversable properties like three-dimensional space does. Yeah, and, and I think I'll uh, withhold from commenting just so I don't put my foot in my mouth, um, just because... These uh, are big topics, yeah. It's, and it's kind of off topic a little bit here. And uh, I, I'm still not seeing how the uh, how the KCA brings us to God. And I know other people have made this criticism about it. So there's a bit of a leap there for you. Well, and so, and I, like I said, I do think it does only get us to a deistic God, but I, I do, or a deistic force, I even should say, because I, I do want to specify what I think it honestly does get you to. Um, but like I said, I, I do think it does indicate for us some level of, um, extra universal being, which at least classically speaking, would be a uh, timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. Now, obviously, if, if we have a, um, a theory of time that basically makes time eternal in a way, um, then I, I don't know, I guess, how I would address that. I just have to think about it more. Um, it's a new thought for me, for sure. Okay. You're cool. Um, I, like, uh, I like dealing with people who are <laughs> considering new things. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm curious about you mentioning deism. Um, I, I understand that there are two fundamentally uh, different deist tracks. Um, one is that um, the the deity or deities uh, no longer exist, and the other is that they are just um, no longer focused on us, but they still exist. I guess you're in the second camp. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and and so. Yeah, and even to be fair, even in the one thing I will say about the potentiality of uh, pre-universal time is that um, that's not necessarily actually not jiving with the idea of a god per se. Yeah. Uh, spaceless and timeless are really the big points of Kalam, just because time is such a misunderstood topic to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, it is still something that I won't, like I said, comment too on, just because yeah. um, you know I want to be respectful oh. of people who know certainly much more than I do, who I'm sure are in the live chat right now. Well, I think um, I think the big gap that I'm seeing here is uh, the conclusion of the KCA, uh, the Kalam, being therefore the universe was caused, um, and then God exists. Uh, though that's where I'm seeing the gap, and I'm not, ha I'm having trouble connecting those dots. Well, and I think what it really kind of boils down to is just our understanding of which thing. Now, granted, it is it is theoretically possible. I will I will totally grant this. It is theoretically possible that some uh, unknown thing could account for what I'm saying, right? 
Um, so just to get that particular caveat out of the way. Okay. Uh, but based on what we know, the only things which meet the qualifications of being timeless, spaceless, and material um, are uh, abstracts, right? To bring those up yet again. Uh, and no abstracts with the, uh, with the exception of human thought can be said to be creative. In other words, your thought could lead to, you know, whatever, some mythological story or some statue or whatever, right? But numbers alone, which is just another example of an abstract, don't actually do that. Uh, even when numbers do seemingly create like binary code, they are actually put forward by human thought. Do you um, think? Uh, do you think memories um, could be abstract? Uh, well, I don't. <laughs> it's interesting to say because I, in the end, come to the conclusion that abstract things don't actually exist. Um, in other words, things which are thought to be abstract are indeed concrete. So our memories, knowing that our memories could be distorted over time, um, mm -hmm. would at least some of our memories qualify as abstract? Such as a memory how to get back to our home walking through the streets? Uh, no, I would not say so. And let me kind of explain okay. using a computer, I guess, uh, or an engine would even be better, right? All right. Um, if you have certain parts of the engine that malfunction, you can get things to happen that are completely contradictory to the way an engine is supposed to work. Uh, you can get a gasket to blow. You can get the thing to blow up. You can get it to just okay. completely turn off, right? Whatever it happens. I'll take your word for it because mechanics are not my strong point. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, well, and I, I have- I know I have, things can blow up though. <laughs> right. Um, I see cars on fire on the side of the road from time to time. <laughs> Rare, but once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so the, the idea though, right, being that you can get certain things to misfire by virtue of um, really breaking the system, right? Um, or misconfiguring it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and that's the same thing that I would say in regards to things like mismemory, for example. Um, uh, like, so for example, when you're on your way home. So are you saying that our memories are not abstract? I guess I would say no. Um, like I said, I don't believe that uh, I, and you know, I'm, I'm very young and, so I will grant that I could be, you know, still wet behind the ears when it comes I'm to the philosophy of these trying things. Trying to understand, yeah. yeah. Um, but but I don't think anything is truly abstract. Um, I, okay. I think that all things which we believe are abstract are actually grounded in something concrete. Um, and in that sense, I very much agree with like Platonists, for example, okay. um, and, and really just Plato in general when they say that all of these things have to be grounded in something transcendent. Uh, I tend to agree to that. So I would say in the case of our memories, more than likely things like mismemory um, are kind of like, you know, putting together an engine in, in a way that's wrong um, okay. and creating like synapses to misfire and stuff like that. Or, or some kind of defect that's come up later and caused. Exactly. Shit. Exactly. Small crack or something. Okay. That's pretty fair. Um, okay, so I guess where we're at is the KCA. Uh, I, it looks like it has it doesn't prove that God exists, I guess, is, uh, uh, would you agree with that point? I, well, so what I would say is, because like I said in the opening statement, I think that KCA uh, gets us to a deistic point. I don't believe it'll get us farther than that, and I would drop arguments farther than that, but I think that uh, based on what we know, if something is to be uh, extra universal, meaning outside of the universe, um, that thing, oh, the only things that we know of which meet those qualifications are abstracts, and the only abstract which is in any way creative is human thought. Um, therefore, I would conclude some level of thought 
has created the universe and of course that would again imply a transcendent so, mind so the deist deity created the universe is basically what your position is then at least in, okay. in other words that's a bare minimum and but i think that we can get farther still, than that i still have the same problem with the gap because it doesn't doesn't matter to me whether or not the deity is still involved uh, the claim is that there is a god and therefore the universe was caused in the kca I still have that gap there. So be it a deistic deity, um, a, a god, I'm still having problems connecting the dots here. I, I don't see the connection. Well, and, and to a certain extent, I guess, um, you know, I, I just kind of have to grant that perhaps it's not convincing to you personally, you know what I mean? Well, um, there needs to be a connection here. And, and so the KCA, I think, doesn't even prove a deistic god well so again like i would say you, you have this necessity for some level of abstract being the force right um that abstract thing has to be creative because it's being the force which causes this to happen and again the only abstract thing which is anyway creative is human thought now you can say that's just not convincing to me and that's fine to be fair you're, you're totally you know um uh what's the word um you're fair. I, there's a word, but I'm, I'm losing it. You're totally no. fair in saying, I just don't accept it and I want to wait for a further explanation. That's okay. Um, but I think that that doesn't actually deal with the point itself, which is that everything that we know seems to indicate that a transcendent mind created the universe. Um, and, and again, to, to explain that all as in a drawn-out fashion, uh, the only things which meet the qualifications of spaceless, timeless, and immaterial are abstracts, and the only abstract which is creative is human thought. Um, the conclusion being that the abstract which created, i.e. thought, implies some level of a transcendent mind. And, and the way the reason I say at least deism is because um, all Abrahamic gods account for a deistic deity, but no, uh, or excuse me, all uh, levels of deism account for an Abrahamic god, but Abrahamic god wouldn't necessarily be deism, right? In other words, um, God is the creator of the universe in Christianity, just like the deist would say, but deism doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, right? So, um, so the KCA is dependent on the factors of being spaceless, being timeless, and being immaterial, those, those properties. And you're saying because those are abstract, that proves God. Right, because the only abstract that we know of that actually leads to any sort of creation is thought, meaning in a mind. Okay, so uh, again, um, have how do we rule out uh, other possibilities to, to know for certain that it is, is a deity that created all of us? Well, so I would say, like I said earlier, you know, if you would like to um, sort of hold your bets and say, I think that I'm going to wait, right. That's certainly since we're in it, this is a conversation mainly of philosophy and science, right. That's certainly mm -hmm. within your, within your, uh, you know, it's in your mental faculties, of course, it's in your liberties as a citizen of a free country, all that <laughs> kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah. But I, I don't know that it necessarily does anything to counter the view, I guess. In other words, it puts you in a state of neutrality, in my opinion, where oh, no. I feel like I have presented a strong case based on the knowledge we have. Um, you're saying, well, I think knowledge that we don't have could explain this, and that's fine. I can respect that, mm -hmm. but it, I think it puts us bare minimum at a neutral place not in a place yeah. where there's actually any argument against what I'm saying. You know what I mean? It does. Yeah, it does. Um, it, uh, it, the problem that you have is uh, I think that you've not ruled out um, 
other things to know for certain that this is actually the case. That, that's I think that's why we have uh, this point of neutrality here that's valid. Well, we have ruled out at least some, right? Like, for example, uh, numbers is an abstract that is non-creative, so we can rule well, numbers I, I out think, as creating. I think that if you were to tell me that cats did not create the universe, I'm going to go with probabilities on this one and agree with you. <laughs> well, and, and, apparently right. they created the internet, but uh, who knows? <laughs> um, but but you get the idea, though, right? It, it's kind of this, like, we do have uh, at least some things, namely the ex um, all existing abstracts minus thought mm -hmm. we have gone through. And, and now we haven't gone through them in this debate, but the people who worked out the cosmo uh, cosmological arguments have, right? They've, you know, sure. well, does some level of binary code potentially uh, explain existence like a simulation or does so, uh, some level of abstract object potentially uh, or does, you know, and so on and so forth. And um, yeah. seemingly they do come to the conclusion of either what you're saying, which is, I don't know, or what I'm saying, which is a transcendent mind. Um, and again, I do think that bare minimum gets us to neutrality, but I would even argue it's not necessarily neutrality because there is an argument that makes sense there's just a, a party that feels as if they don't want to, for whatever reason it happens to be, feels as so if what, they don't want to accept it. But it does work conceptually, where, right? So what is what are the origins of this mind that created our universe? Like, where did that come from? Uh, I would say that the mind is originless. Uh, the reason I would say that is because um, if something is outside of uh, time, space, and matter, namely timeless space as a material or is in some level of time where, and this is how I'll just briefly account for what you were saying earlier, in some level of time that is like co-eternal with itself, um, that would uh, like indicate to me. That's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, <laughs> that would, um, hang on, shoot. Uh, there we are. That would uh, indicate to me that um, this thing cannot have a cause of its existence in other words, it's it's the one in the number example right whereas the two can rely on the one and the three can rely on the two the one is just self-existent so I, I will point out that um i did give a reason for being at a point of neutrality is that because i'm at a position where i feel that i can't prove either uh that there is a god or the anti-position to that of that there is no god um, and I, I did uh, outline why I can't prove there isn't one, um, where I'm stuck there because I, I don't have the tools to explore the entire cosmos. Um, this, um, how do you know that, uh, this mind has always been, I guess, co-eternal. I like that term. Um, well, so a couple ways, uh, the first way would be that uh, I, I think there is a logical necessity for an uncaused first cause. Um, the second way, and now, of course, you could argue, well, potentially it's not this one, right? And I, that's, I guess, a potentiality. Uh, but at some point, the buck has to stop, right? Uh, would be, I think, the logical uh, requirement. But awesome. then also, okay, um, <laughs> I would say that whatever time is within our universe, um it certainly would operate differently than the potentiality of some kind of time-like thing outside of our universe. Um, and in a similar way, like, and not in a similar way, is in a way that we could give an example that's like a microcosm 
um, doesn't do it justice, but it'll give it an idea. You can have a movie and the everything that happened in that movie is contained within whatever time you want it to be contained in, whenever you decide to watch the movie, right? Because it's now in a in almost in a like a lower plane of existence, so to speak. It's metaphorical, mm-hmm. right? But in in the sense that you can pause it, rewind it, go watch again, all that kind of stuff, right? So your time is in a sense transcending that. Time. Now it's a primitive example because we don't have any 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 examples of truly transcendent time, um, but I think you can kind of get the idea, right? Where it's like there there does appear to be the potentiality at least of some level of transcendent time. So whatever it is in our universe or outside of our universe, it must operate in some way that is differently than our universe. Um, so I wouldn't expect there to be necessarily a beginning, even if there could be a beginning. Uh, by necessarily, I mean biological necessity, right? But then the other two aspects come into play there as well. Spaceless and uh, immaterial uh, would indicate, well, immaterial things probably won't decay. Obviously, if it's only material that decays. Um, Things that don't occupy space can't be dispersed because there's no way to necessarily, um, I mean, even a smoke, right? That's a thing. That space has space, right? Disperses. Um, yeah, and so all these different things would indicate to me that uh, whatever this thing is, it can't stop existing, um, meaning, and if it can't stop existing, it must have always existed, right? Um, and sort of just explaining it in that way, it seemed to me like this, um, like I said, co-eternal thing would have to be in some way uh, exactly that co-eternal. In just a few more minutes, we'll go into the Q&A because we're coming up on that hour and a half mark, but I'll give you a chance to respond, Randolph. My, my last question here, I guess, is uh, how does one go about verifying that this is the case, that there's this deity, as you just described, uh, living co-eternally? Uh, well, so you can you can do all the thinking, and it, I, it is interesting. Uh, Chinese philosophers, Indian philosophers, and Greek philosophers all came to conclusions that were very Abrahamic. Uh, I don't personally find that to be a coincidence. Uh, well, I'll give a lot of examples, actually. Um, so, for example, uh, we'll use the Greeks because the Greeks were actually they were so Abrahamic that the New Testament even used it and utilized it within its scripture. Uh, for example, the concept of logos, right? The right. concept that there is some divine force that may even could be called maybe it could even be called divine reasoning, which plenty of the Greek philosophers called it that, like Heraclitus, for example, and so on, mm-hmm. that bounds the universe together. And that explains all of the abstracts in our life and that what and that we must live in accordance with in order to meet the fruition of our life's purpose. That sounds exactly like a monotheistic deity in the Abrahamic religion, with the one exception that you've now called it a force. And Paul, not Paul, excuse me, John was fully aware of this when he wrote John 1 1 and in the beginning was the Logos, this thing everybody knew. And the Logos was God. I've now personalized it. And the Logos was God. I've now made it the son. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously there is a slight bit of difference in that personality. I'll fully grant that. But the concept of Logos itself is very foreign to Greek understanding and quite Abrahamic or the idea of an uncaused first cause, which is also sticking with the Greeks. That's Aristotle. When, when do you think Christianity introduced uh, Logos? Uh, well, the concept of Logos itself was not introduced by Christianity, only the uh, linking of Logos with uh, the deity, which in this case would be Jesus, 
uh, was done by Christianity. And I believe John was written probably about the year 65. Um, that's my own personal argument. I'm way in the minority on that, but it's perfectly fine with me. That's the traditional understanding is that it was sometime around 65. Yeah, um, to say that uh, uh, the Chinese philosophers got that from Christianity doesn't wash with me because the um, Chinese philosophers, uh, there are many who are much older than Christianity itself right. and all the Abrahamic religions. And Not got it from Christianity, came to the same conclusions. And oh, there's a reason okay. that it's important to specify. I, I misunderstood what you said earlier. Okay. So, yeah, there's uh, um, the idea of the monotheistic God in, in the Abrahamic religions um, is also not a popular idea in Chinese culture and history. There's uh, always multiple deities. They're always polytheistic right. there. Um, Buddhism Fully is granted. polytheistic. Um, the Hindu religion is polytheistic. Uh, uh, Vedism is polytheistic. And, and uh, on and on it goes. So Zoroastrianism right. might have closer ties to some Abrahamic stuff than the others, but Right. And so that's why, you know, it is important to note that obviously there is, um, you know, the, the polytheism and stuff like that that surrounds them. I certainly wouldn't argue with that. Uh, okay. But, you know, like I just um, explained kind of with the Greek philosophers, right? How yeah, they, the yeah. uncaused first cause and moral Platonism and all that. Well, I mean, in the case of a lot of the. Yeah. yeah. And in the case of a lot of the Chinese examples, right? So, for example, the Tao. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Tao is just the Logos, but the Chinese version. If you want to talk philosophy, philosophy versus philosophy, yeah. it's this transcendent, seemingly divine force that you need to live in accordance with to uh, meet the fruition of the purpose of your own life that dictates all things, that grounds the abstract, um, all these different sort of things. It's like your ultimate source of truth, right? Um, that is, and in fact, once again, you take John 1.1. When you, it's interesting when you translate John 1 1 into Chinese, it's in the beginning was the Tao, and the Tao was with God, and the Tao was God, right? Um, in other words, the Chinese uh, translators seemingly understand precisely what it is that, that I'm putting forward, right? Which is the Chinese had a concept that's very, very similar to the monotheistic Abraham, in that it is this force that seemingly accounts for all of our abstracts that. Um, seemingly bounds the universe together that we need to live in accordance with all of these different kinds of things. Uh, and the Hindus do the same thing. And I think, I don't know if I'm getting Dharma mixed up with something else, but I believe it is. You thinking of Dharma, Dharma. rather than um, uh, uh, the Tao, though, because like the Taoism, uh, like 4,000 BCE, it's about 6,000 years old. And right. many of its well, ideals are developed during going... uh, China's Warring States period, which was um influenced significantly by school of naturalists who promoted school concepts like yin and yang and uh, and whatnot and five phases of the wuxing and, and on and on it goes well there's a, a couple things i think to note with that just very briefly sure. um super briefly the first then... being sorry um were you gonna say something james just to mention that we if it is tied to theism i have uh, i'm willing to kind of uh keep going with it more in terms of the the debate topic otherwise minutes. we want to jump into the q a pretty quick how's five minutes we can do uh five more minutes okay go ahead cj um so again i do want to specify it's i think coming to the same conclusions not necessarily because the fact that they're before in my opinion is irrelevant uh, and the reason why is because i fully expect that the brilliant men would come to the conclusions that are similar but not identical to my own because I think my own are correct. Right. In okay. other words, 
I, I, I don't um, rely on the Dow uh, or any of the other, you know, or the logos or anything like that being introduced by the Abrahamic gods uh, or Abrahamic God, I should say, because okay. I was mixing Abrahamic religions and God. Right. But anyways, um, rather, I think that because the evidence is in favor of this kind of a thing, this Dow slash logos slash what the Christian uh, Bible and Jewish Bible would call God existing. The fact that in the East they come to that conclusion and in the West they come to that conclusion and in India they come to that conclusion seems to me to indicate that the the most brilliant philosophers out there agreed that there was something that had to be transcendent beyond us um, and the Christian Bible, um, in my opinion at least, explains what that actually is, uh, namely Jesus himself. Um, so it's not that I think that the Tao comes from Christianity, although to be fair, there is some talk that Tao derives from the Hebrew root DRG. I have no way of confirm, conforming, ah, confirming. It's, it's an isolated that. continent. I really doubt it, but okay. Um, isolated anyway, isolated societies. But uh, mm. yeah, it, my understanding of the Taoism is that it is uh, very different from the Abrahamic faiths. There's not a lot of similarities. There are some that can be drawn, but there's more that's different about them that really doesn't make this a compelling case for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I would suggest uh, reading C.S. Lewis's um, commentary on the Tao Te Ching. Um, and I think that you will now, well, first off, I would just recommend reading the Tao Te Ching because obviously you want to get it unbiased. Right. Um, but with his commentary, you can see like the specific points where he starts to go through it all in. Okay. Um, I don't do it justice, especially in a debate, but sure. um, I, that would be sort of my, uh, I don't know, response to that, I guess. Okay, sure. Okay. And, and, and to be fair, I don't think that uh, the Tao really uh, helps us because it is polytheistic and this debate is about a single deity. <laughs> so, Well, well and, and like I said, I think it's the concept of, of Tao itself, right? The idea of a Tao is, in my opinion, very Abrahamic. It seems foreign in Chinese uh, thought. Chinese thought after that is certainly very influenced by it, for sure. But pre-Chinese thought, like, and you can see, like, Chinese folk religion is an example of this, right? Um, Chinese folk religion that traces its history back to before the 700s BC um, is really, really foreign to concepts that you find in, in Taoism and Confucianism and stuff like that. Uh, in fact, it's much more similar to typical polytheism, like the pantheons of Greece or in Hinduism or in things like that, or Shinto, right, which is another example. But... Um, Taoism itself is very weird in Chinese thought. And then all of a sudden it takes over all Chinese thought to where Confucianism and the different forms of Chinese Buddhism and legalism and all that, they're almost looking back at Lao Tzu um, and his, and his history. But if you look at it before then, or even Lao Tzu's contemporaries, yeah, um, I don't think it is, you know, it's, it's very odd. It's, it sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Uh, and it's the same thing of the Logos in not, Greek not society. Me, it seems like a natural fit. But anyway, <laughs> I have uh, my own understandings of Chinese history that lead me to think that. But uh, I guess James wants to move on to the Q&A period here. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm left uh, uh, with not seeing the connection. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> well, and then, you know, that's certainly okay. Um, obviously, I didn't expect to convert you today. So... Um, Oh, I wasn't thinking of this conversion. I was thinking of it as an exploration. And, and I did enjoy our conversation. For sure. And I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoy it as well. 
A friendly and interesting one. And so thank you very much, gentlemen. Want to mention a couple of things. Folks, we do have some new mod rules. And so just in case you had not heard, one is, I want to say first, thank you so much, mods, for all you do. You do a fantastic job. We really do appreciate you more than you know. In terms of, we have our old rules like no hate speech. And then we also have rules like no harassing the speakers. But we also have this kind of new rule. We're asking the moderators to, if you'd be so kind, refrain from trying to debate or persuade and chat. And that's just because the same way that I am trying to be that way in the moderating or host position on screen in terms of not trying to jump in the debate and take sides. We also want to encourage mods in the chat to try their best to try to restrain themselves from jumping into debate with people in the chat as the mods are a true representative of the channel. And we do want to say thank you again for doing all that you do. But Thank you, we, I, I have noticed that you're really good with the impartial approach. Thank you, Randall. I really like about this channel. That means a lot. Seriously, it really does. I And it's always a pleasure to have you, Randolph, and, and CJ as well. You guys are gentlemen and scholars. And so I do want to show you guys, mm-hmm. folks, we have a couple of upcoming debates that you don't want to miss. So let me just pull these up on screen and let you know that, oh, baby, they are going to be epic. In particular, on June 9th, Dr. Michael Brown will be debating apostate profit on whether or not there is a God. So same topic as this one. And so I'd say, hey, folks, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. That's going to be a juicy one. You don't want to miss it live. And then also, folks, want to show you this one coming up even quicker. June 5th, thrilled Matt Dillahunty returns to take on Dr. Kenny Rhodes, Christian scholar and theologian it's going to be juicy they are going to be be debating whether or not there is good evidence for god that's a crowdfund by the way folks and that crowdfund link is in the description box and you can see the meter on the far right of the screen we are thrilled that we're at 92 percent for our crowdfund goal which is absolutely phenomenal and folks this is a strategy for us to basically be able to do kind of some more of those big headliner events for example we had michael Shermer we hosted in january really popular speaker and we're hoping for no joke like in the future we really do want to use this kind of crowdfund strategy for for example richard dawkins like no joke that's the kind of thing that we want to use this strategy for and so we do want to encourage you to join us for that crowdfund but let's jump into your questions thank you very much for your questions folks we do appreciate them my name is mud thank you for your super sticker first and then bubblegum says bubblegum gun says if you agree murder is wrong then proceed to murder an entire group Clearly, you don't believe what you preach. You only prove that might is right. I'm trying to remember, that's probably from earlier in the discussion. I'm trying to think. Sounds like hypocrisy, yeah. (laughs) Any thoughts from either of you? That sounds like hypocrisy to me in that example. Yep. You got it. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I would just simply say, I mean, I I guess I'm not sure uh, what it was pointed um, at, but yeah, you know, obviously that would indicate that you're hypocritical in your opinions for sure. You got it. And this this one coming in from raw nakedness says, is there a God? Thank you very much for that. And bubblegum, I think we know your guys' answer is bubblegum gun says (laughs) also universality does not equal truth. Power can make truth. I'm confused by what they mean by power can make truth. Power can make truth. Sounds like a reference to authoritarianism to me. I was about to kind of say the same thing. It almost sounds like, like I'm the king, therefore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before the Magna Carta. Yeah. Those old times. Ooh. 
juicy. I would say universality doesn't make truth, but it very strongly indicates it. That would be sort of one because, <laughs> for example, I, I think most humans, if they were left to their own devices and didn't have any uh, extra knowledge, might come to the conclusion the Earth was flat, and perhaps that's not the you know. It's not actually remotely yeah. reasonable, um, but it appears to be right. If you just go outside, it does look like it's flat, but it's not. Um, so I wouldn't say it, it proves it, but I think it very strongly indicates it. You got it. And thank you very much for this question. Experiments in prebiotic chemistry says once you define morality, then it becomes objective to identify what is morally good. The objective standard is the definition of the word morality just like when you define the word "quote unquote" purple, you can know what is purple. Yeah, and that that, that talks to the subjective nature of morality, in my view. Mm-hmm. And this one, go ahead, CJ. Do you have something? Didn't mean to cut oh you no, off. I I, just, I was just gonna say. I guess. Um, I guess that I don't necessarily agree, to be honest. I think certain definitions you have to see the thing itself first. Like, like just as an example, um, like the definition for purple is a great thing, I think, because purple as a definition did not exist until purple was first seen. Right. That's a reasonable point. Yeah. Gotcha. Any thoughts, Randolph? Because I think it was meant to challenge you. This one confused me. I was. Yeah, I'm not really clear. Maybe just read it one more time, please. Yeah, they said once you define morality, then it becomes objective to identify what is morally good. The objective standard oh. is the definition yeah. of the word morality. Yeah, so I, I did make a point earlier that um, once uh, a number of people, uh, any number of people agree on what a moral standard should be then, uh, and that would be subjective in nature, but then if, because they agree, they can make objective or non-subjective determinations on what's moral or not based on that standard because they all agree. And so that's basically the, the subjective agreement uh, on what's moral is the foundation for making objective determinations. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. Pancake of Destiny says, why Bible is more trustworthy than Harry Potter, CJ? Um, well, for one, um, the Bible at least claims to be factual. So that's just a start. Right. The Harry Potter does tell you this is a work of fiction. So, I mean, just right off of the bat, I think there's a big difference. But no, I mean, if, if you're being serious, which I must say, I, I'm fairly certain that the questioner is not uh, because people who are being serious don't tend to bring up such examples. But... I, I liked your first answer so far. That was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, you know, I would just say, like, we're talking about a story using historical figures based in historical places, talking about historical events. Even if some of the events didn't take place, let let me put on my skeptic hat and say, like, for example, the exodus didn't happen, which I don't believe. But let's just say that I did believe that. Right. Um, It's still Egypt still exists and Israel still exists and Saudi Arabia still exists and the Hebrews still exist and the Egyptians. You know what I mean? Like the story, even if fictional, is based in reality. Uh, Harry Potter is not so. Wizards are not, in fact, existent and there is no such place as Hogwarts and, and so on and so forth. You got it. And thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Bubblegum Gun says, there is nothing wrong or right with killing. Quote, unquote, murder is just moralizing killing, while claiming our killing is, quote, unquote, justified. Justice doesn't exist. 
Very nihilistic opinion. I certainly disagree, but it's an interesting perspective. <laughs> Juicy. And then Robert Summers says facts are facts. So that means God exists, CJ? Yeah, of course. That's that's why I'm here. Of course I would say that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um, I just think the arguments that I have oh, here prove that God exists, right? So um that would be <laughs> the um you know, I obviously I'm just being tongue in cheek with it, but the point is obviously, you know, I presented why I thought that God existed. So outside of the tongue in cheek, that would be my answer. But tongue in cheek, I mean, sure, why not? I'll, 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 I'll play along. <laughs> Juicy. QA after all. And right. big thang, Bruce Wayne. Thank you very much for your super chat, which is in the six dollars and sixty-six cents. Very trollish of you. We like we appreciate your uh your trollishness, uh friendly trollishness, but Robert Summers says, I accept all of CJ's arguments, and I am going to place Thor as the creator. Why am I wrong, CJ? Uh, well, so this question gets at a deeper question, but let me ask it, or let me answer it as asked first off, um, because Thor is not the creator god in Norse mythology. So it's really that simple. You don't even know the mythology, right? Now, of course, the question is trying to, to hint at, okay, well, who says it's not X god? Why does it have to be your god? And I think there are good arguments to indicate that it is my God. I think uh, prophecy, for example, I give the Genesis example of Ishmael. Um, I think that Jesus's resurrection is a good example. Um, I think there are tons of examples as far as um, the way that God has told us things are expected to work. The meteoric, uh, meteoric, meteoric, excuse me, man, I cannot talk, rise of Christianity and so on and so forth. Uh, but that would be that would be sort of the end of that. If just to make the it quick. question was about a Norse deity that is a creator deity, would your answer have changed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would have changed because, um, you know, it, there is a difference there in, uh, you know, addressing, like, for example, Brahma. I think if I understand Hinduism correctly, Brahma is the creator god. Um, if I'm wrong about that, please somebody correct me. But um, then at that point, I would start to argue more from the second portion of my uh, points, right? Which is to say that I think the Bible contains correct prophecy. I think it accurately describes the way the world works, uh, so on and so forth. And, and I would get, and that, of course, might even be a debate in and of itself. Um, but yeah, to the short answer is yes. I would address it more in depth if I was talking about an actual creator god rather than something like Zeus or Thor. I just looked it up. You're correct. Brahma is the creator deity. For sure. I appreciate that. Gotcha. And Jeremy Creason, thanks for your super chat, said, God is great. And we're going to jump to the standard questions as this one coming in from Andrew Cummings says, referring to the Kalam, it seems to me that when we refer to causes, we mean material events. But God is not a material thing. So how does God fit as a cause? So you've kind of addressed this, but we'll give you a chance, CJ, if you want to. Yeah, um, so the way that I would explain that is basically by the creative power of thought. Um, human beings, in the end, we actually don't create things with hands and stuff like that. Um, those are just the tools we use to create things. But we actually create things in our minds, right? Um, for example, a book that you wrote was in your head before it was ever put on the paper. Um, and so... When you're talking about things that are non-material, creating the material, that's how all creation works, in my view. Um, and I think that human thought is a great way to prove that. Gotcha. And this question from Big Thing Bruce Wayne says, 
CJ, I mean, I'm going to try to, let's see, I'm going to look for questions for many of these in a row or for CJ. So I'm going to pull up one I've got for uh, Randolph in a moment. Big thing, Bruce Wayne, first though, for CJ says, how many holy books have you read cover to cover and, co- and compared to the New Testament? Hang on, one more time. They said, how many holy books have you read cover to cover compared to the New Testament? Uh, Book of Mormon, Quran. Um, I have not read the Tao Te Ching all the way through. Um, obviously the Bible, uh, I don't know if you'd call them holy books, but I've written a, a read, excuse me, a lot of books from, um, like prophetic figures, uh, like William Branham, for example, um, or, uh, uh, what's the guy who's really big in Rastafarianism. I can't remember his name now. Uh, but anyways, he's some big black nationalist from the early 1900s. Um, yeah, um. That's that's probably about it. Um, and then, you know, philosophical works and stuff like that. But that'd be about it. Gotcha. And this one coming in just now, Robert Summers, thanks for your question, said, yes, my point was insert X God. Guess you had to get the, let's see, uh, the they thought you insulted them. And then they said, expand off Brahma then. Yeah. So like I said, I would say, um, and, and by the way, just for the record, I mean, not for nothing, but if what I took as an insult, and certainly you comparing my God to a Marvel character would probably be an insult as well. But since, you know, moving on uh, beyond that, um, I would, yeah, I would argue at that point from things like prophecy, from things like explaining how the world works, which I think the Bible correctly does, um, you, you know, and, and like I said with the, the Genesis example, right, I gave the example of Ishmael. Uh, that's an undeniable prophecy. In other words, the, the best you can say with that particular argument is I don't think it's prophetic. I think that they've just happened to get it right. And that's fine if that's what you believe, but it is undeniable that the descendants of Ishmael eventually became an incredibly populous and great nation. The Umayyad Caliphate was so powerful that anywhere from Morocco to Indonesia, they speak Arabic, right? Um, the only empire that's ever been stronger or as strong as the British. And, and I'd say as strong, I would not say stronger. Um, so, you know, when we start arguing about Christianity in particular, I think there's a lot of good evidences, like I said, prophecy, resurrection, so on and so forth, um, that definitely push us in the direction of um, of understanding Christianity as true. Gotcha. And thank you very much for this question. Do appreciate it from the Batman says for Randolph. You, let's see. They said you said CJ has to show with certainty that there couldn't have been anything else to cause the universe except a mind. Uh, but do you require certainty do believe to, I think they mean to believe all thing all other things. I think that is what they're saying. It depends on what it is that's being claimed, right? So because uh, the claim of a deity creating the entire universe is such a big, fantastic claim, um, the, the bar is a bit higher for it. Um, what, what qualifies as sufficient uh, and, and stringent, and, and the nature of the claim is... Uh, is rather absolute in nature, so it, uh, it's it's claiming that uh, God absolutely created everything, meaning nothing else did. There's no other part in it. And I even got some clarification that uh, very often I, I I think CJ may have I have in other debates where people have uh, said it's not multiple deities; it's always just one single God doing it all. And so um, that that's quite specific and quite absolute. So I, I think it's not unreasonable to have an expectation that the other possibilities need to be ruled out in such a case. Gotcha. Thank you very much for this question. Even as partial participants. Yeah. Thanks, Thank, Tim. 
You bet. And thank you very much for this one as well. This one comes in from Robert Summers says, changing the subject already. Yes. The life is describing what we see. I don't know what that was even referring to. Do you? Blinded by the light. I don't know. Shall we sing? I'm not sure. Honestly, <laughs> this Blinded next... by the light. No. next one coming in from pepper talk says question for both. What would change your mind about the existence of a God? Um, well, so that is a good question only because I kind of have had a lot of evidentialism, if you will, in my walk to begin with. So it could be rather difficult. Um, I would say, so if there was some like uh, false prophecy, that would at least get me to reject certain books, I think, um, if I could prove that it was a false prophecy. Um, and even then, you know, I'd have to look into those sort of things because like, for example, people have put forward things that they think are false prophecies that I don't believe are. I mean, one of the big problems, I'll be honest, is that I already have a view that sort of a, takes into account a lot of the things that are, uh, typically taken as true on atheism. So like, for example, I, I have a pretty intense level of nihilism when it comes to most things, um, for I'm just as an example, like baseball, right? I mean, you hit the ball over the fence the 74th time and who cares, right? It doesn't matter in the end. Um, and those, ironically enough, that actually makes it sort of difficult to convince me outside of Christianity because so many things that you can point at, point to as, you know, unique in atheist philosophy, I kind of already grant you know what I mean? Because of my exception was uh, because of my experience with stuff like nihilism and stuff like that. Now, I don't even know if I explained that the way that I should have, but that's sort of my answer. Go ahead, Randolph. Gotcha. This one coming in from Pepper Talks. Oh, we got that. This was the, that was the same question. So we'll give Randolph a chance to respond if you'd like. Uh, sorry to, I, I lost, uh, lost scope of the, uh, no worries. Question. Got it right here. They said, what would change your mind about the existence of God for both? And CJ oh, oh for both. Okay. I thought that was only for CJ earlier. I misheard. Um, the, in my opening statement, I did uh, list one thing that would change my mind and that would be to be granted uh, omniscience and omnipotence for a fortnight for two weeks, just to experiment with it and whatnot. You got it. And with that, folks, want to say we are going to be back in just a moment with a post-credit scene as we have a lot of juicy upcoming debates, so stick around. I'll be right back for that. But we want to say a huge thank you to CJ and Randolph. We couldn't it's, – it's hard to express our thankfulness. We, we do appreciate you guys. So we want to remind you folks out in the chat – trying to be your regular friendly selves. We appreciate that you guys do a great job of that, namely attacking the argument instead of the person. So thanks everybody in chat for doing that. And we also ask that you do that in the comments afterwards. And want to say though, thanks so much CJ and Randolph. And folks, you can find their links in the description, whether you're listening to this YouTube or Twitch stream. In the YouTube description, we have our guests linked as well as the podcast of this episode. So thanks one last time to CJ and Randolph. Thank you, James. And thank you, CJ. I, I enjoyed our conversation today very much. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it as well. And I, I appreciate the both of you very much. Um, and yeah, and God bless. Thank you guys. And I'll be back in just a moment. So stick around folks for those upcoming debates. We'll talk about because there's a lot of juicy ones coming up.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.